Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja. I'm also part of the editorial team at 215 Inc. Comics, and I review horror books and horror comics on my blog, Probing the Depths. All right, Keith. Um, so this is going to be uh, like the title of the, the podcast. We're going to be talking about making comics. So uh, yeah. what'd you do this week? Like, what have, what have you been working on comics-wise? Yeah. Well, can, can, I, can I retitle a little bit of the podcast to like making fiction for a moment? Absolutely. Is that, is that cool? Because, okay, so yeah, for me, the big milestone is that I just finished the third draft of my novel. You can do a lot of things in terms of, of writing novel drafts and things like that. So in addition to writing comics, I've been working on a novel for the better part of the last uh, three years. It's going on three years now that I've been workshopping it, taking classes, and submitting drafts and things like that. And this draft is a momentous draft because I just sent the book out to four beta readers yesterday. Mm. And so now... The way that the process works, at least kind of in, in what I've been told, is I send the, the book out and now I'm just going to wait, give people a couple months and then wait to hear some big picture thoughts and turn that into a revision down the road. So I'm, I'm really excited for that, um, mainly because, you know, the novel is in this nice kind of plateau place. Um, I don't know. I don't know if this happens with you with comics, but I know in, in terms of my old music days, and in terms of writing a novel, I reach these points sometimes where I just get too damn close. Do you do that or no? Not really. Um, I I was I was wondering how close do you think you are from from it being finished? Like, do you feel like this this draft is is close to being finished, if not finished already? Awesome question. Um, so for me, the the way that I've been describing it, and I think the I had a recent round of workshops that helped back it up. And what I think is, is that if you consider the plot like, let's say, maybe a house, then like my house is in place, right? It took me a good two drafts to really figure out the way the plot goes. So I think the, mm -hmm. the house of the novel is in good shape. I also think that the characters are fleshed out to the point where they are not just line drawings, but they're actually muscular line drawings with clothes, okay. right? Uh, to, use, to use like the comics term. Right. I think there is more work to be done. I'm not going to kid myself, um, but I think there's there's a lot of good things in play right now. And more importantly, I can't see what the problems are anymore. And this gets back okay. to the too close. So that's like going with your house analogy. It's like, okay, the bones are good. The foundation is set. The structure is good. And, and like, okay... Maybe the maybe the walls are up, but it's not ready to. You're not ready to put the furniture in quite yet, huh? Exactly. That's a that's a perfect way of putting it. You know the the furniture. It's like I'm pause. I think I know where to put the furniture, but I'm pausing to make sure. And then if we're gonna continue that analogy, which is actually better the more I think about it, then the last thing you're gonna do is put on the paint and put the art on the walls, right? right. And mm -hmm. those are things that you know if in in novel writing, that's really when you start to do things like fine-tune how you want to say things right yeah um, and so i have the ability to do that now but it would be kind of silly to do that when somebody might come back and say this 60 pages is shit right or 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 i don't like this character at all or whatever it's going to be i'm not saying they're going to do that but the point is you don't want to waste energy either so yeah man i'm in a good place again i've 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 come this far and i'm too close because there are some days where i pick up you know, I'll go through a, a 
scene or something like that and i'll think like hey this is a pretty good scene and then there's other scene um there's other moments where i just think this is absolutely terrible right there's a <laughs> there's a there's a band I, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna paraphrase this this thrash metal band named sacred reich they gave an interview in decibel magazine about a year ago and i love it that what they had done is they broke down the creative process into a couple simple steps and it was if i remember right it was one this is pretty cool so this is like the creative process one mm-hmm. this is pretty cool two this is shit. Three, <laughs> I am shit. Four, right. you know this isn't so bad. And then five, this is actually cool, right? Like that's basically the creative process in five easy steps. Yeah, right? it's like it's like you're going through grief. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, man. So I'm I'm in the this is sort of cool phase because I've spent plenty of time in the I am shit phase recently. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we'll see how it goes. You but, know, uh, but yeah, man, that's that's my big thing. Yeah, just thinking it over as you were talking, I actually have gotten to that space, that place, like a couple of times. So, like on certain certain issues, I'll get too close to it and I'll start overanalyzing, and it. it's just like, okay, is this fun? Is this entertaining? Would someone actually want to read this? And um, and I don't find I don't find that I have that part when it comes to the art. Like I think I think what I put down is pretty much what I want to put down. Like especially these days. But when it comes to the dialogue, you know, I have a great relationship with my writer, uh, Ed. He's he's so he's so fantastic. Like he's just completely understanding if I want to change something. He's not he doesn't have ego when it comes to it. I'm just like, hey, man, I'm look, I rewrote this. Like, I think Eddie should sound more like this. And he just rolls with it. He's like, "Okay, cool, cool. He's like, yeah, that sounds good. I like that. He goes, oh, but what do you think of this? You know, and so he's such a good partner. Um we just kind of spitball and go back and forth and, and he's, he's super cool with all the changes that I make. So, um, there has been a couple of times where I get too close to it and I'm like over examining it. And, and at that point I step back and I let Ed take, take a hold of the, of the wheel, you know? And so I think, I think it's good uh, in that sense for me. It's like, there, there are issues where I'm on fire. I'm like, no, no, we need to change this. Here's a good one-liner and this and that. And I think that's a good dynamic between me and Ed as well. It's like, like I, th- I think I'm pretty, pretty funny. So, and essentially the the characters are all different parts of my personality. So I kind of know what each one sounds like, and um, so I can throw in zingers and stuff in there like that. And so there's there's issues where I'm on fire, and then there's issues when I'm not, and I just I just take a step back because it's like okay, I think I'm screwing this up, so I'm just going to leave it in his, his hands. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and it, it's funny because as you mentioned that, it it reminded me of what the process with Rory was for uh, for the first ten issues of Kadoja, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so our process was slightly different, but I was still open minded to it, which is basically Rory would just change shit. Right. It was like I would I would write stuff and then he would change stuff. And I actually learned to kind of make that like a strength because it was the kind of thing where, you know, I I do believe in collaboration. Right. So if if I'm going to tell you things that I think are going to serve the story better for the art, then I'd better be able to turn that back on myself when it comes time to story. Right. So. I was really open-minded about that stuff. So what I would actually do, and maybe a bunch of people do this, I don't know, is I would give them the script. And then, you know, for those familiar with the comics process, I can write a script a year before I'm ever going to see it on the page, depending, right? Like, generally what I do is I write scripts to complete arcs. So Mm -hmm. that might be four or five issues at a time. So by the time the first issue, by the time I start to see the art, that script is pretty fresh in my head. By the time the end of the arc comes across my computer screen, 
I can barely remember things, you know? So what I made a point of doing is not consulting my original script and then just asking objective point blank, like, does this work? And if it worked, then I kept it. And if it didn't work, I might be like, mm, I think he was going for something there with the dialogue, but let me go back and check my original script for what, what my intent was. But yeah. it allowed it to kind of go through almost like a two, three revision process because Rory would revise it based on what he thought served the story. And then I could go back and either just let it roll or say, well, no, there's a greater intent with, with the thing that, that we right. were trying to put here. So let's go back to that. Right. right, right. Yeah. See, and that's, it's such a great, yeah, that's the thing with comics is it's such a great collaborative process. It's like, like you were saying, it, you get almost instant revisions. And I did the same thing with Ed. Um, and he wasn't like aware that that was going to happen. Um, I remember in the first issue, I, I drew the, drew the pages or whatever. He gave me the script. I drew the pages and he was going over it, you know, like matching up the dialogue with the panels. And I would do the same thing. I would change shit. I would add panels. I would take away panels. It's like, okay, well, he's over-describing something here. It's not really necessary, yada, yada. And uh, one of the things he had he had pointed out to me, he goes, hey, um, the name of the restaurant was this, and you put this. And uh, and so I had written, like, hand-drawn the, the name of the restaurant on, on the building. And he goes, yeah, I, I said the name of the building was this, and or the restaurant was this, and you put this. And I said, yeah, we can change it in the script. I'm not going to redraw it. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to change it on the typewriter than it is for me to erase and redraw. So um, yeah, exactly. You learn to make the, the compromises um, early on. You know, it's like you see what the other one's willing to to do and and not. Um, so so with your instance, it's uh, like it's a little different because like you said, you're like, no, no, you have to put that in there because I'm going to be doing something with that later on. Whereas, um, exactly. uh, you know, as you as the creator and the writer, uh, me as the creator, but being the artist, I know where it's going as well. You know, it's just like, well, I know where the story's going. We don't need that. Like that can go away because I know it doesn't really serve an overall purpose. So, so yeah, a little bit different. Totally. There. Totally. And, 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 you know, the issue sometimes with comics is that they don't follow collaborations. They're work for hires. Right. Right. And, and work for hires are great from for certain reasons i think for people that like a ton of creative control like me i can deal with the work for hire in terms of an artist but that said this type of collaboration doesn't exist because the person is getting paid to do a job and no part of that job involves questioning the person who's paying them and writing stuff right so right. i do think that you you lose a little bit of that dynamic that you're going to get when people are willing to challenge each other a little bit and right, bounce right. ideas off each other and and it's going to it's going to push the art form to a different direction that if you're just knocking out something someone's telling you to do right yeah and that also comes with experience as well so like for instance let's say uh the artist that you hire is a 20-year vet so if he says something to you you're probably going to end up listening a little bit you know what i mean it's just like okay well he's been in the game a lot longer and so he might have some insight that you potentially might not be seeing and that's also a personality thing you might even get a vet who is a 20 year pro sees an error um, like a, a flaw in the matrix and not say shit because it's like, that's eh, his book. Let him do whatever he wants. You know what I mean? So it, it boils yeah. down to personality as well. Some people will challenge stuff. Some people won't. So anyway, so yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was my version of the week, but how about you, man? What's your, what's the, what's the first thing that you kind of did in the last week? I'm trying to think of the month here. Um, in the month of August, 
August? August or September. Honestly, I can't remember anymore. I ran a Kickstarter for... <laughs> they all blur together in the time of coronavirus. Right? Dude, dude, it is all just a blur. Uh, so in one of those two months, I ended up doing a Kickstarter for my uh, title, Wanders of Melisanda. And it was for issue two. But I, you know, like when you're doing a Kickstarter, you don't want to just put issue two uh, because people potentially haven't read issue one. So you put issue one, one dash two, right? Okay, so I did a Kickstarter for that. And I had, uh, it went well, I made a, I made a few grand off of it. Like I do really small uh, monetary goals, like it was 300 bucks. So basically that'll pay for a large majority of a very small print run, like a, uh, for a black and white book, maybe 300, or 300 bucks will probably get you like 100 copies or something like that, maybe less. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, like let me just aim for this goal, right? And so I got a couple of, couple of G's off of it, which is nice because then it's like, okay, I have some help. I have a color colorist on the cover and et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, I, I got the books in and I shipped everything out. And so I only had four things really that needed to go out and there were four head sketches uh, for, for backers. But for the month of October, I did uh, this challenge. I challenged myself to draw Tober. And so I created my OSP own prompt list. Uh, so every day of the month, I would draw something on that prompt list. And what I did was I created a comic book out of it. And so basically, my October was kind of booked up, I couldn't really do those head sketches. Um, and this last week, I managed to uh, now that we're not in October, I managed to finish those head sketches and, and get those sent out. So uh, my Kickstarter uh, is done, like every every reward is sent out, every backer has their books. And so it's like a huge sigh of relief. That's that's satisfying, right? What's the uh, what's the unofficial or maybe the official percentage of the of what Kickstarters um, what people deliver on? Is it like seventy percent still? Oh, dude. Like, I don't I don't even know. I just remember. So so my thing with Kickstarters is I will not do a Kickstarter unless the book is done. Like that is my process. It's um gotcha. Early on, I backed this Kickstarter. It was a Peter Pan Kickstarter and uh, a graphic novel, and it looked beautiful. I pimped it out on my social media because it just looks so rad, and they didn't deliver that book for four years after their due date, and, and to me, that's just completely unacceptable. It was like, okay, the Kickstarter ended this year, and it won't be available until t- next year because they have to draw it. And it's like, okay, that's cool. And then so year rolls around, nothing. And no no updates and this and that. And then they're just talking about personal stuff on their updates. They're not even talking about the book at all. And, and people are questioning like, hey, where's the book? Where's the book? Where's the updates? And nothing, nothing. They just wouldn't, you know, respond. And so anyway, like eventually they get us the book. And, and I just remember how infuriating that was. And it's like, I will never put anyone through that. So when I do my Kickstarters, the book is done. It's ready to be printed. I just need the finances. And um, uh, yeah, so uh, the amount. I can't believe that. Well, hold on. I didn't want to cut you off. Well, no, go ahead. Anything yeah. to the end? I can't fucking believe someone would actually produce the book in four years. You know what I mean? Like. I probably would have punted on that idea a year in. <laughs> Dude, Do you know what I okay. mean? All right. So here's here's another thing about it. They doubled down. Okay. So once they said that they had the book done, they were like, hey, we printed a few extra copies. If you want a second copy, uh, just PayPal us this much and we'll ship uh, the other copy with your book. 
And I was like, you know what? They finally got the book done because they, they were showing photos and videos of the book. So I, I knew they had it. And I'm like, you know what? The book looks so good and they're finally going to deliver. And my, my goddaughter, her favorite um, story was Peter Pan as well, as, as was mine. So I was like, you know what? As a gift, I'm going to give, give her one of those books. So I eventually get the book in, I think about a, two to three weeks after that email, one book. They sent me one book. And I was like, hey, where the heck is my other book? And they were like, oh, we're sending out the second book after we fulfill all the rewards. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. You will have to pay double the shipping. Why wouldn't you just send two books at once? It doesn't make any sense. Do you know what? Yeah. Just just give me my money back uh, for the right. for the extra book. They stopped responding to me. Then they ended up sending me the other book shortly after that. But pretty infuriating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that shit's crazy. I yeah. just, I don't it, know. It, it's Kickstarter can be crazy sometimes. And and back to the the main thing, like you know, it 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 is it is nice. Number one, it's nice to just feel complete with something. Like to, dude, I'm sure that moment when you sent the last sketch out, you're like, hell yeah, man. you have, was, yeah. you know. I was going to say you have no idea, but you've done Kickstarter, so you you know exactly what that feels like. Yeah, man, it was. Yeah, like, yeah, but I went. I went one for two, you know, I, I did the first Kickstarter and, and the second one had a weird, um, I, I feel like we may have talked about this, but the second one had a really weird silver lining to it, right? Which is the Kickstarter for the Kadoja uh, hardcover graphic novel funded. Mm-hmm. And around the time that we got funding on that, we also signed the deal with 215. Right? Yes, I because do remember Kadoja that. Was was all indie all the time. Yeah. And I remember talking to, you know, at the time, before I was part of the team at 215, I was, you know, one of the, the, the I was the talent, right? And and now I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to be both, I suppose. But um, at the time, you know, I'm talking to Mike at 215, and I'm like, okay, cool, man. We're really excited to to start off with issue issue six, you know, on 215. He's like, no, 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 this isn't a deal for issue six. This is a deal for issue one, right? And so that meant that the the comics that we'd spent the bulk of the last couple of years making, because again, we all we all had day jobs, and and I still continue to have one, like like a lot of people. Um, so basically, we took like a, a year off from making the comic. You know, I I remember working comic shows, and I'd be selling Kadoja number five, and then I would work the same comic show next year, and I'm selling Kadoja number two, right? Right. And and people were kind of expecting more content, but now it's rebranded through two one five, and we did make some revisions. It's you know, oh, okay. I, I would say the I would say the level of revision is somewhere between Lucas on the first Star Wars film, New Hope, and Lucas on the third Star Wars film, Return of the Jedi. Okay. Right. Without without the stupid part where they got rid of um, the Sice Noodles band, but that's that's another story. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like you know, what I'm talking about like the 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 original trilogy. It got re, you know restored and revised all that stuff in the '90s, and mm. New Hope got worked over pretty well. Right. It, it had enough things where you're like, well, this is different. But by the time you got to Jedi. Almost nothing was different except for the stupid, terrible song that they put right. in. Right, the they took Pets. out the Yub Nub song, which is super which, upsetting. Um, yeah, well, and they and they took out Lopty Neck, which is the probably the funkiest song in the Star Wars universe. And like, mm-hmm. why would you do that? You know, for whatever the hell that was called. Yeah, you know Jabba's what sucked too was I had uh, so I had the discs that I have the I believe they're DVDs. So I have the DVDs where it actually comes with the original disc. And then it comes with the revised disc. 
and I accidentally put the wrong one in for my goddaughter. So the first one she saw was the revised one when I wanted her to watch the originals. And so when it got, because she wanted to watch Jedi first because she had she had seen them. I'm like, no, no, we need to watch the originals. And uh, yeah. she's like, well, let's watch Jedi. That's my favorite one. I was like, cool, mine too. And it gets to the end. And like you said, the majority of the movie, there's not much changed. And then we get yeah. to the end and it's not, the song's not there. They changed it. They screwed it up. And I was pissed. I was like, no, no, we just got to watch the end <laughs> to the other disc. I know. I know. Yeah. That, that's, uh, yeah. Who, yeah. Who knows? Who yeah. knows? You know, it, it reminds me of something that, uh, an adage in novel writing, because we've, we, we've asked, you know, our, our kind of instructors and our, our mentors before, you know, the, one, of the, one of the grand questions on a novel is how do you know when you're done, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the best answer I've ever heard is you know you're done when the, when, at, when the changes you make stop being better and start being different, right? If you're changing things and it makes them better, the novel's not done. If you're changing things and it makes them different, the novel's done. That happened with uh, issue one of Second Shift. I remember... We were right about to go to print, and I was doing one last read-through. I wanted to make sure everything was good. And then I just started adding these these dialogue beats um, to, to one of the characters, one of the female characters, Sarah, in the beginning. And I was her, having her do kind of like an inner monologue, but of like a, a kind of like a musical beat, like almost like a ballet when she's fighting, like one, two, three, one, two, three. And then, and I, I sent it to Ed and he goes, oh, that's different. And he goes, oh, it's, he's like, oh, that seems cool. And I was like, wait, what am I doing here? You know, it's just like this, I'm changing what he wrote and it's it's turning into something else. I'm like, you know what? And that's that's when I figured, luckily I figured it out pretty pretty soon was like, I need to stop it. Now I'm just messing with it. Yeah. So going back, uh, huge relief to finally finish uh, that that Kickstarter, uh, sending out all the rewards. And it's also allowed me to tackle a ton of commissions that I've been putting off like since May. Um, I, had a, I had a commission, I have a regular client, and I've been putting one of his projects off uh, since May. He wants a pointillism piece. And I'm like, that sounds so time consuming. And I was jamming, man. Like at the beginning of quarantine, uh, I knocked out that a whole issue of second shift in three months start to finish and you know for for indie guys people with day jobs for me to knock out a book in three months uh it's almost unheard of you know like oh, I have, yeah man yeah so it's, for me at least it's unheard of so is uh, isn't a page a day the gold standard for people that are full-time artists yes yeah so, so, I mean, if you're not a full-time artist, then divide that by how many hours you have to actually do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, three months is impressive. Yeah, yeah. I was, I'm, I'm super happy with it. I'm I'm uh, very happy with the work. I don't feel like it's rushed at all. Like, I, just, I feel really good about that second issue. And uh, so, yeah, for me to get it done in, in that short period of time, and I was, I was jamming. I was in a flow, man. So, I was like, okay, I just want to keep on working on more books. What else am I going to do? And... Um, just I had this unfortunate mishaps. So right after the, the 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 drawing was well during the drawing, I was looking for someone to help me with the zipatones, the screen tones. Um, and mm-hmm. for for you people out there that don't know what that is, that's like in manga, it's the little dots and patterns that you see um, on the art. Well, I did. That's I did. what zipatones are. Because uh, so I'm I'm one of those people. That's what a zipatone is. Yes. Yes. So yeah, okay. anytime you see those little dots. So Zipatone specifically, that was actually a company. It's like Q-tips. Or zippers. 
Right. Yes. So, uh, so Zipatone was a company that produced it. So they're called Screen Tones um, um, overall. And okay. So yeah. So I did them on the first one, and it's and it's super time consuming. And I was kind of like in pencil mode. I felt like just drawing, and um, I thought I would be better served working on second shift uh, issue ten. So I found someone to do the tones, and so after the project was done, and it was like three days from uh, funding, I had. Uh, copies made and sent to me and which I usually don't do uh, my, my printer he usually just records himself flipping through the book he just puts the camera right on the book and flips through the pages slowly so I can look at everything and mm-hmm. he did it this time around I said you know what let's print some out and send them to me I just I had this weird feeling and I get the book in and all of the tones my assistant had done were all screwed up they were like unusable they um, oh, no. yeah they created something called a mori pattern and so it's where zipatones, if if they're too small or, or something like that, they create like X's and squares and and just kind of diagonal lines. They they just make this weird pattern. And so I got the book in. Every single page he had done was unusable. So I had to stop drawing, and go back and work on all of the zipatones. So I had to redo the project um, as it was ending, and I think it took me uh, three weeks. To, to complete it. So it took me out of that drawing groove. And that's when uh, that pointillism commission came along. And I'm like, I was so defeated, dude. Like, like mentally, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. I'm tired. And I, I took a week off. I didn't do shit for one week. And um, I was like, no, you know what? You got to do it. Kickstarter's over now. Um, you know, you, you owe people books. So I got back on the horse and uh, powered through got into a nice groove and ended up knocking them out in, in within three weeks. So, so I was pretty happy with myself and I was happy with the final result. So, uh, one little bump. What, in the- what do you say to the person that f***ed up your Zipatones? So he, he was a super young guy. Um, and I was, um, I was basically mentoring him through it because I, I sent some sample pages to him and I said, because uh, he, he contacted me. I, I put the job out somewhere. I can't remember. Fiverr or, or something along those lines. He actually, he hit me up on Facebook. So it was a Facebook group. Um, if you're looking for uh, collaborators, go to Facebook. Look up how to make comics. Something along those lines. You'll find these groups. They'll add you in. And you could find people to collaborate with. So I, post, mm. I posted up on Facebook um, about the job. And so he sent me some of his samples. And I said, those look pretty good. Um, let me show you a PDF of my issue one. And I want you to be able to basically use Zipatones the way I do. Apparently I don't use Zipatones the way everyone else does. And it's very specific and, uh, has a different look to it. So, uh, he did a, a sample page and it looked pretty good. And so each page he did though, there was something wrong and I would kind of have to, to mentor him through them. And, mm-hmm. and so as he was doing them, they looked good. But the thing was, which I come, I came to find out after the fact he was stacking the tones. So when you stack a tone, you are guaranteed to get a Mori pattern. And so he was trying to get, he was trying to get different shades. And so he was stacking them to create different shades. And I said, no, no, you can't do that. And, and I had told him previously, cause he did it clearly on this one page. And I said, Hey, that's, that's doing this. You can't do it. But he, he was from the Philippines, uh, uh, my mother country. And uh, he, uh, <laughs> my mother by marriage country. Is there that you how go. It works? <laughs> yes. So I claim it. I claim it through marriage. <laughs> absolutely. Wife, yeah. It counts. It counts. So, uh, he, so there was some, a language barrier there. 
And, and so he spoke broken English. I don't speak any Tagalog, unfortunately. And so I guess he didn't fully understand why he couldn't do it. And um, I, I explained it to him. I said, hey, I got the book back. These are all unusable. We need to redo the entire book. And he just seemed like, uh, well, if like for free? And <laughs> I was like, well, I'll pay you five bucks per page, but I've already paid you for these pages. But I can't pay you any more than that because, you know, I had already told you to not do it and you did it anyway. And, and yeah. to his credit, he was cool. He's like, okay, no problem, sir. Very respectful, very nice kid. And uh, he tried to help me out, but it just wasn't working. And if anything, he was slowing me down because I had to keep trying to tell him what to do. So uh, we ended. I ended up letting him know, hey, thank you, but I'll be taking over. And, and, you know, he felt really bad. But, you know, at the end of the day, I learned a lesson. It's like, you know, I'm just going to do it myself. I know exactly what I want. I hear want. you, man. Yeah, and I can do you know, it. I've, so. I've, I've had similar stop starts. I mean, a few times in terms of Kadoja, just when the work isn't up to par in terms of what you want to deliver the book. I mean, you know, you, you and I both know we're, we're in the world of indie comics, right? We don't, you know, Marvel and DC, they have the budget, they have a ridiculous budget. And it pains me as an indie creator to see that budget become like common knowledge. So then you get any artist that wants to do work for hire thinking that they can charge, you know, Jim Lee prices per page or something like that, or even, you know, even not Jim Lee, right? But, um, but yeah, man, it's it's tough. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know. You know, and 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 what what we want is in service of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I know that that to be the case with a lot of artists. I know a lot of artists, and and I know how we can be we can be sometimes. So, um, you know, there a lot of instances where the artist isn't reliable. I have a couple of writer friends, and I've I've heard such things, and it's like ah. Oh, I get it. You know, interiors are hard and some some people aren't cut out for it. Some people aren't cut yeah. out to do interiors and it's something you have to love to do. You know, if you're if if you're an amazing artist, you might be able to get away with just doing cover work. It pays better, less work, less stress. So, yeah. you know, but if if you, for the love of the game, man, like it's like I love doing interiors. I'm just by nature I'm a storyteller. So, it's yeah. like yeah. Uh, I got to tell the stories. I got to I got to do the sequentials. Like I love it. Yeah, I, let me ask you. Here we go. It, it's obscure pop culture time. Do you mm-hmm. remember a song? You're probably too young. Do you remember a song called The Silver and Black Attack? No, no. So The Silver and Black Attack is this obscure, maybe not that obscure to Raider fans, but it was the, the I think, L.A. Raiders at the time. It was the L.A. Raiders version of the Super Bowl Shuffle. Um, so the Super okay. Bowl Shuffle this is came more out in, more in 1986, and I believe the Silver and Black Attack came out in either 87 or 88. I'm pretty sure I still have my copy of it. I uh, I got rid of a whole lot of my records, but I think I still have Silver and Black Attack over there. And right. obviously the players do not write their own rhymes. Somebody else uh, writes it for them. But the Silver and Black Attack really embodies hey man, like, the you, classic you don't know struggle. That. You don't know What's that. What's that? No, no, no. You don't know. It, 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 okay. You're thinking. You're thinking. Howie Long is just coming in and like yeah, freestyling. Man. Hey, he's he's the he was the original Dame Dalla. You know, you don't know that. 
Yeah. Uh, based on Howie Long's performance on record, I'm pretty sure he didn't write those lyrics. But um, <laughs> right. but like the the silver and black attack embodies the classic us versus them struggle of offense versus defense. Because basically in the defensive players' rhymes, they make the case for why defense is what matters. In the offensive players' rhymes, they make the place for you know the case for why offense is what matters. And it would be very easy for you and I to turn this podcast into a sort of silver black attack, right? Where right. where you're like, well, artists are just all alcoholics, and I'm like, well, only 99% of us are alcoholics, you know, or, or writers <laughs> or whatever, right? Right. But uh, and and so it would be very easy to kind of get into that uh, that thing, but we're not going to do that, right? No, but, no, of um, course not. It's all good, but man, I totally get it, right? And yeah, because because writer, right? Look, writers, we write shit for a reason, right? And uh, I can't, I cannot draw a goddamn. I cannot draw a goddamn, right? I, I think I. I was just listening back to episode zero and I, I mentioned that I tried to draw three lamps and they all sucked. <laughs> and I was just like, fuck this man. Art is not for me. I, I can't stick through this, you know? So um, I get it. I get it. And I'm sure from an artist's point of view, it's kind of like, ah, writers, right? Yeah, I, I've tried. Um, I have an infamous issue zero as Ed likes to refer to it. Uh, when I was in my mid twenties, uh, in the middle of my wrestling career, I, was like, you know what, I feel like drawing. And so I drew I drew an issue of Second Shift all on my own. I wrote it, I drew it. And it was so terrible. Like, the story was such garbage. And it was like, I literally have a bank robber running through the streets with a duffel bag that has a dollar sign on it. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, like fucking Bagman. Like yeah, the man. So game Bagman. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, the Bugle Boys from the uh, Ducktales or something, you know. It was just like, what the <laughs> fuck am I doing? So uh, yeah, man, I, I had to team well, up with the that's writer. Super, that's super self-aware, right? Because I will say that there are plenty of artists out there that seem to think they can write. I know some of those too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I snicker, you know, because it, it's yeah. like. I don't know, man. Right? I th- I think writing on some level is undervalued. Um, I think so. Yeah, especially, it, it, look in comics. I think it's. I think I'm making a fair point. People pick up comics because of the art. They don't pick it up because of the writing. You know, my my favorite adage, which I'm I'm sure I've bored you with many times, is that art gets you and writing keeps you. It's like it's like a car, man. Like the wheels are just as important as the steering wheel. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like yep. the art. Will, the art will get you there. The steering will will tell you where to go. So, yep, exactly. you know, it's, it both are equally um, um, needed. And, and I, I just knew I was like, OK, I'm not good at, at this, you know, especially at that time at 25. I didn't know a damn. So I was just like, OK, let me let me team up with someone. And, and I was so lucky that my writer was in the wrestling world as well. You know, we just happened to like all the same shit. And, and uh, he's a great writer. So word up, word up. So I'm, I'm looking at the clock right now and we've kind of hit the I mean, I, I'm sure we'll have a, a couple things yeah, in man. here but we're we're at a yeah, pretty think, good time so i, th- I think i think it's think time so, for us yeah. to get a little a little off topic here yeah basketball time i want i want to fucking talk basketball so bad yeah <laughs> let me hear <laughs> because it. because okay so i don't know when the hell this episode's going to air but all i can tell you is the sixers just traded al horford and i'm so excited man <laughs> was amazing. he was he that abysmal last season i think he was i think it was bad both seasons you know what i mean like oh shit he's been with you guys for two seasons yeah, I think I think he has. Yeah, I don't know. Has it been two seven hundred? I don't know. Was he was he part of the original seventy sixers? Did he play alongside Wilt? He may have. <laughs> wow that that season was so bad for you that it's felt like he's been on your team for two years. No, I think he's only been on your team for one year. Oh well, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, okay. man. Because yeah. because you well, in, you, in fairness too, 
coronavirus did make this year feel like two years in a lot of ways. This yeah. was literally the longest NBA season um, there has ever been. You know? Yeah, and it was really two seasons. You know, when you look at the the way the bubble worked out, where you just had these, you know, the 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 Phoenix Suns pre bubble were terrible, and the Phoenix Suns in the bubble were a juggernaut, right? Right. So, and 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 the the delightful thing of watching all these players level up, you know, like Tyler Hero and Jamal Murray, where you know, boy, they put in work when when quarantine was going on because they came right. back and just lit the NBA aflame, you know. But so and, wow, and, uh, turns out it Devin, was only one Devin year. Booker as well. You know, it was Whew. like. He, he's always been an amazing scorer, but man, yeah. he turned it up a notch in the bubble. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So no, I'm just, I'm I'm shocked because it turns out Daryl Morey may, be, may in fact be a genius because, I mean, and it's funny, right? Because we get, we get to the punchline here where the Sixers traded Al Horford for... <laughs> Danny Green. Your boy. <laughs> That's right. I, I had, dude, I had no idea Lakers fans hated Danny Green until like three hours ago when I texted you and my buddy Rod about it. <laughs> right? Oh my it's gosh, awesome. man. No, he's, I, I, I thought we lucked out when we got Danny Green in free agency. I was so happy and, and I'm in a Lakers chat and half of them were like, yeah, but that's a lot of money for Danny Green. I was like, no, no. Every game I watch with Danny Green, he hits buckets. He hits he hits, he hits big buckets when he needs to hit big buckets. And yeah. and I will tell you, those three games of Danny Green that I watched randomly when he was on like the Spurs or the Raptors were the games he hit big buckets because he wasn't hitting shit during the season. <laughs> Nor in the See, playoffs. See, that's funny because I, I think I told you in, when I texted you earlier that I think I saw about three Lakers games through the year and Danny Green was like, just money. <laughs> he was yeah. so money. And I'm like, wow, this guy can still play. Uh, yeah, he's, it's, he it's is fun. not. We would have won in five if he would have hit that buzzer beater at the end of the game and he hit the front of the rim. And then Markeith Morris threw it out of bounds, just launched yeah. it out of bounds for no reason. I was like, wow, what just happened? So uh, yeah. the fact that we got off the books for Danny Green, we got Dennis Schroeder uh, in, in exchange, even money basically, I think a $500,000 difference. Yeah. And we had to give up the 28th draft pick. No big deal. Um, and he's a... Schroeder's a 18 points per game score. He averages, I think, four and a half re, uh, four and a half assists, and he shoots like 50 percent from the corner three. And so it's like, wow, he shoots 10 percent more or better than Danny Green, and he's uh, I think Danny Green averages six points per game. So we we yep. got hooked up. Yeah, we totally got. Oh no, man, up. he's Schroeder. Schroeder's definitely an upgrade because um, Schroeder Schroeder is a. And kind of an undiscovered gem type of player, mm-hmm. but yeah, I've always I mean, liked I, him. I don't I, ever since I don't, he's been I don't in the care league. if I don't care if Danny Re- Green makes one basket all year. You know, it's just that's what he'll make. We got, for rid, you. We got rid of Al Horford's contract. You know, that's <laughs> how many dude, years did he have? Did he have three more years? Three, three left. He had three left. If, yeah, if you're yeah. telling me he somehow only played one year for the Sixers, <laughs> which is kind of bending my brain right now, it is, yeah. sure. Yeah, because yeah, Kemba yeah. Walker just got to the Celtics, and so the money that Kemba got uh, would have, you know, would have been to Horford because Horford was was playing lights out for them. So every yeah. Celtics game I watched with Horford, he was money in the bank, dude. He was like, you know, where where yeah. Jalen Brown and and Jason Tatum were lighting it up. Horford was their third scoring option, and he was a great yeah. defensive player. So when you guys got him, I was super confused though because you have him beat in the middle. And then, so why would you get Horford, you know? And then... Yeah. Uh, well, it's, 
it's triply troubling because Embiid and Simmons don't even exist that well because they both operate in the paint. So when you put Horford there and, you know, the I mean, the book on Horford was that he supposedly was able to make three pointers, but he didn't do that for Philly. So right. if you can't make three pointers, then you're laying bricks while our two franchise cornerstones are mixing it up in the lane. You know, I so. wonder if it was the dynamic, though, which was throwing him off because when Horford was in the Celtics, he was the center. He was the he was like a stretch five. So with Embiid in there, it's like you got two stretch fives, basically. So I think it's that might great, have... Great theory, except Horford sucked when he was the only center on the floor, too. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, not that I'm bitter. <laughs> so what do, you, bitter. what do you think about this rumor of you guys potentially trading Ben Simmons for James Harden? I mean, I feel like I said this last time. I'm, I'm not... Okay. Keith's favorite Philadelphia 76ers. I, I, I'm, number one, my favorite athlete of all time is Allen Iverson, and therefore my favorite sixer. Ben Simmons is number two, right? And I remember a guy at work wanted to slap the hell out of me because I put Ben Simmons ahead of Doc, right? And I said, yes. hey. Okay, I do I, remember I'm, this. Yeah, we've talked I'm, about I'm this. Not, I'm not saying Ben Simmons is better than Doc. I'm saying I like Ben Simmons more than Doc, right? Because Ben Simmons is the original prototype, man. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. love watching Ben Simmons. So I can honestly say that if the Sixers trade Ben Simmons, I'm going to have to consider reconsider being a Sixers fan. Just we might have up. we might have talked about this actually when we met up for dinner. I don't think we talked yeah. about this on the last pod, but yeah, I, I remember bringing up uh, Derrick Rose. It's like Derrick yeah. Rose wasn't the best player in the league when he, you know he was Derrick number one. Derrick Rose on the Bulls, but he was my favorite person to watch, and he's still one of my favorite people to watch. So exactly, I get it. I, I'm exactly I, I'm fully aware that Ben Simmons objectively is probably between I don't know the twelfth and twentieth best player in the NBA, which by the way is a pretty great place to be. By the way, first team all defense. So yeah. Simmons Simmons can ball, you know. Yeah, and, no, and he's a I monster. Just, I, I just him. love watching Ben Simmons. Again, if like just in terms of pure players I like watching, Simmons is easily a top five guy, you know. Um mm-hmm. look, if if Ben Simmons got traded to Houston, then maybe I would just reclaim the city that I spent twelve years of my life in, which is Houston, right? So, you know, at least they'd be nice enough to trade them to a place that I can sort of claim because I, I went to high school there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. it's so like no, that, that would bum me out. That bum me out to no end. Any, I, I feel like anybody with half a brain would trade Embiid. And Embiid yes. is Embiid is a great player for 1996. Yeah, I re- I remember his first season. You were all in on him too. Well, his first season playing I, I, at least. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's isn't that how it works sometimes? Like I I think number one, Embiid has become he's he's become the kind of guy where if they're up eight. And he throws a dunk in your face. He's going to do a little shimmy and stare you down, right? Mm-hmm. But when the game's on the line, he his face is all tight. He's not loose. Yeah. You know, like, he he just gets tight. That you know? front running. Got that front running going on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and it's like, so it took me a couple years to figure that out. But I think it's not as much that as it is the NBA is different, dude. It's a mobility wing kind of league. And and as athletic and graceful as Embiid is at seven one or seven two or whatever he is, he's not Anthony Davis, you know. Right. And and you need to be you need to be able to hang with Anthony Davis if you want to have any chance of competing these days. Oh man, I was watching some Anthony Davis highlights today. They were showing um, it was a Lakers film room where they do uh, analysis of the games and stuff. They're talking about AD and how he can 
he can shade on the pick and roll, and then he can get back to the guy if he goes up for the shot. He can just block that shot out of the sky. And I was yeah. like, God, he's so versatile. He's so good. He's champion. You know what yeah, I mean? Man. Like that's all that's all you need. That's you know, that's that's the level that you need to be. And now that the Lakers are are champs. You got to say like, hey, that's who we got to go for. You know? Yeah, so and he's anyway, gonna—he's so we'll definitely see. going to be playing on another level. I think now that he has that supreme confidence, you know, it's just like, hey, I'm a champion now. You know, it's just like I'm not this guy. I'm not this kid who was a point guard in a uh, high school and then grew to seven feet in a couple of years and you know became a center out of nowhere. It's like I'm, you know, I'm AD. I'm, uh, you know, it's like I'm I'm a champion now. So I think I'm really hoping that that carries over to the next season. You know, he realizes what he is, who he is. And, um, you know, with, with Schroeder and, you know, potentially another piece or something, what we really need is one more shooter. And uh, uh, What you, know, you really need is Al Horford. <laughs> I wanted uh, D'Lo, man, like, and because he was my favorite draft pick that, that we've gotten. And when he was up for grab, grabs with the Nets, um, I was just hoping Lakers would pull the trigger. And they were they were talking about bringing him back, but then Kawhi left us holding the bag, yeah. and I was like, "We got to not wait for this guy. We got to pull the trigger on D'Lo." And then what happens? Golden State ends up getting him, and I'm like, "We just screwed up so bad. We screwed up so yeah. so bad, you know." And he would have been our legitimate third scoring option, you know. And it would be great to have quote unquote one of our own back, you know. It's like yeah. I yeah. I love home the idea of homegrown talent, you know, Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, like. That's what I I think that's why I push so hard against Laker fans who say they they want to trade Kuzma. It's like he's our last homegrown and I think he has tremendous upside. And I think he can get there. I think he really can. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're going to be waiting on the Kuzma train for the next 6 years, but, uh, <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, I just whatever, man. I'll be I'll be the train conductor on that bitch. If you dude, if if you ride for Kuzma, exactly. That's all that yeah. matters. I, yeah. I, I'm, I I'm the conductor. Simmons. I chose the menu for all my passengers. And all you motherfuckers are eating crow. Well, and it's like, and it's like, <laughs> hey, hey, you know, Kyle Kuzma, NBA champion, bitches. That's right, <laughs> right. Like, That's say what right. you want, say what you want. It all matters. It all matters. All right, for we sure. should uh, we should probably wrap this up. We'll we'll save all some right. of this for for next. Absolutely. Time. Um, all right, and so, so let's go ahead, let's man. Um, yeah, let's do it. Let's sound off. What's your social media? Uh, my social media. So on Instagram, you can find me at Keith underscore Decibel. That's going to be just me. It's going to be thoughts, records I like, maybe some some horror here and there. And then if you want to check out Kadoja, then there's an Instagram handle, Kadoja Kaiju, and that's all one word. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Loss. That's S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T. And uh, on Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, and on the website front, I review horror at probingthedepths.com. And you can find Kadoja at 215inc.com slash Kadoja. And if you like some of the stuff you see there, you can grab it at the Kadoja store, which is on Store Envy. And you can find my books, The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda, on accidentalaliens.com. You can find those two books. You can find the rest of our Accidental Alien titles like Tales from the Mothership, uh, the Accidental Alien Anthologies. I have works in those books as well. So check those out when you can. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Making Comics. And we'll see you guys on the next one. All right, my brother. Talk to you next time.
keyboard myself, so you can go ahead and do the intro, and then we'll just go ahead and launch in. I, I assume you're ready to go with uh, the podcast itself, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's going to be very casual, I'm telling you. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Welcome to Making Podcast, a podcast exploring the comics. Whoa. Pro- Whoa. Uh-huh. Whoa. Webin. You said Making Podcast. That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Booty trap. Booty trap. <laughs> would you like Would you like some Making Fuck? <laughs> Berserker. <laughs> okay okay yeah. ready set <laughs>